This morning I could go right to it. So, we'll start out. Um, in the days when judges, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The, name, the man's name was Emelech. Okay, so they're in a foreign country. He's got his wife. He's got his two sons. Um, anyways, as they go along, they, they die. And then at that point, the, the ladies, so you've got father, or father and a son and a son, they all died. And so you've got the mother and two daughter-in-laws. And they're kind of like, um, now what? We're stuck. So if I just fast forward to the end here, not to the end, but to kind of where I was wanting to go, and 16. So Naomi, the, the mom, she says to the daughters, you guys just go back to where you came from and go back to your people and to your gods. But the one, the one daughter-in-law, Ruth, she replies, don't argue me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped arguing with her. So, I just look at that as, it's like, okay, she's accepted this daughter. She's not going anywhere. She's, she's taken on her God. They're, they're a family. And um, it isn't a thing that they wanted to do or how it wanted to be. And um, it just, but it's how it is. So in our life, in our plans, you start out young and you keep getting older and older and older and not so old. So Bruce did an opening a few weeks ago. I'm still laughing about it in my mind. But the, the funny part, because he made fun of himself and he did a really good job. But he also, he talked about the, the idea that they're out working in the shop with the grandkids and something happens. They have a little ritual with the empty can and popping a little hole in it. And it's a fun thing. And so I look at that. Bruce still sharing his life. He's still having experiences with his family. He doesn't just accept the fact that I'm old and life has already passed. He's still living in that moment and he's still passing on that joy of his life with his family. And that's kind of the part that sticks out to me in that. And so right now in Ruth's life, they're, they're going, um, life's over. So if you're standing there and going, things haven't went how I wanted, this isn't where my goals are, I don't know what God wants, you just have to continually be faithful and um, go through the processes. In Ruth, there's a lot of stories inside of the story of Ruth. So one example um, is, just a minute, is the love story. 
And then it's looking at Ruth. Ruth, in, in, in the sense of a nation, she's an outsider. She, she's Moab and her mother-in-law. She's wanting to go back to, to Bethlehem. And she's an outsider. She's, she wasn't part of that tribe. She was kind of low down when she goes back. And so in a sense, she's kind of losing, by losing her husband, she lost part of her identity. That's how she feels. And she's lost her family. She's lost her husband. And um, in a sense, she feels like at that moment, she's lost her place in life. It's like, I don't know. I don't know where we're going from here. I don't know what's happening. I had a plan. And... Um, and that's how man looks on it. Now, another thing that's going on, God is faithful. He provides. He provides food. She, he gave them an opportunity to go into this country where um, her mother-in-law had been and said, hey, here's a field. You can go and harvest here. So he provided for her. He provided a mother-in-law and, and the family that they had. This is our family. This is it. And um, Ruth commits to God and his people. So, and then at that point, when, God, when she said, your God is my God, she entered part of God's covenant because God made a covenant with his people, Israel. So just, I don't know if she knew all of that. She probably had heard stories. It gets told from generation to generation, and she knew that if I go with her, I want to be a part of God's people. But what she didn't know was what God had in store for her. Life was just getting by. It was like standing in the middle of a river and the world's rushing by, and it's like, I don't know what's going on. But then um, if you go and read Matthew 1, 1 through 6, there's a little surprise in that. And I'm kind of going off the idea that you've kind of already heard the story of Ruth because it's a good, good story and you get, it gets used a lot as a young person. And, and this is the exciting part. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit of a genealogy, right? You ever sit around the table and hear the genealogies being read and Wondering, that's what we're going to do. This is the genealogy of Jesus, of Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Ammon. Amminadad, Amadab, you know that. Father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So here we are. We're reading in Matthew, getting the genealogy and, um, of the lineage of, of David. And here's Boaz. But Boaz is connected to another story of Rahab and how. Rahab, her life was over. It was, it was, she had problems, but God saved her. God saved her family. And now you have Boaz turning around and he has the opportunity to save another family. 
He has opportunity, he has choices, but God has a, God has a plan. And, and these people are faithful to God. They're listening to God, God's speaking, speaking to them. And um, this doesn't just happen by chance. It's not just luck, it's a plan. So as you still look at your life and just realize, I have plans, God has plans, you've gotta be faithful and hear it all come together. And um, life wasn't good for Ruth. They had death, moving, lack of finances, resources, family responsibilities. And in the middle of all that, God is right there beside them. And um, I would take another example, the book of Ruth as an encourager. Uh, for us just to view our everyday lives as, as we're living them, you need to take advantage and realize that it's our plans and it's God's plans. And if you go to Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14, you don't have to, and we've used the time, but um, it's one example that God talks to his people, the Israelites, and says, this is my plan for you. And in the Bible, there's, there's words that just speak out. This is my plan for you. So it's summertime, sweet harvest. Think about the book of Ruth. Depends on where you're at in life. If you're a young person, maybe it's a love story. If you're in the middle of life, it's like, uh, none of these were in my plans and I don't know what to do. And then later it's, you know what? I just need to be faithful to God and he'll be faithful to me because he's promised me that. And then as you go later in life, you might look at it and say, I have a purpose and uh, thank the Lord for that. So let's, uh, we'll bow for a word of prayer and then we'll have the worship team come up. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this cool place to enjoy you and have the opportunity to worship you. We'd ask that you lift our voices in praise. We'd ask that you make our hearts content and soak up what you have given us today. And um, we ask that you just be with this moment in Jesus' name. All right. Dear Lord, we're thankful for the servant's heart and desire to, um, to tell your story and to give your words of wisdom. We'd ask you to bless this time. Be with his voice and his heart and his mind as he leads this group. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ken. Good morning again. <clears throat> wow, some of my voice is still coming and going. I don't understand what's going on, but God is still good. We did have a good, the, the memorial service yesterday was, was really good. It was really, really good. <clears throat> to be there, it was hard to watch. Uh, this guy's wife got up and shared in front of 500 people and just amazing the strength that the Lord gives when we need it. Joel, it's a good thing Jackie said something because if she didn't, I was going to have you come up here with me. So she saved you from coming up here in front this morning. We're going through 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 5. Several different scriptures that I'll be reading this morning, but we're going to start with reading 1 John 5 verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> 
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. <clears throat> These things I have written to you <clears throat> believe who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. <clears throat> Again, we're going back into who are we supposed to love? <clears throat> we love God. Excuse me. <clears throat> It says, if we, let's see, everyone, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. <clears throat> we love God, but we're also called to love each other. We've been going over this same thing. <clears throat> wow, Lord, clear my voice so I can talk. <clears throat> or else give somebody else a word so that they can talk. <clears throat> we keep going over the same thing. We are called to love God. We are called to love one another. We are called to love God. We are called to love one another. And we're going to say it over and over and over again because we, I, we, all of us, for some reason, really, really have a hard time with that simple command to love God and to love one another. This is how we know that we love the children of God is by loving God. They both go together. They go together. How, what are we supposed to be doing? Micah, <clears throat> Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What does the Lord require of you? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. This is what God requires of us. He's talking to <clears throat> his people back then, but this is still what he requires of us today. The people in Micah at that time were kind of, in a sense, complaining about 
Why do we have to keep offering all these sacrifices? It just seems pointless that we keep doing this over and over and over again and we, don't, never, we never get anywhere and nothing ever changes and we have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But you know, a person's character and behavior matters more to God than any gift that, might, that they might bring. A person's character and behavior matters more to God than any gift that they might bring. I'm going to have plenty of water. Thank you, Mitch. <clears throat> the people in the Old Testament would offer sacrifices and offer sacrifices and offer sacrifices, and they do it over and over and over again. But if you go clear back to the story of Cain and Abel, was it so much that Cain didn't offer the right sacrifice as much as it was the attitude in offering the sacrifice? A person's character and behavior matters more to God than any gift that they might bring or than any sacrifice that they might bring because we can go through the motions and not really care about what we're doing. We're just doing it because that's what we're required to do. What does the Lord require of you? but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. The greatest commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. What does God require of us? That's it. That is it. Sounds so simple, sounds so easy, but yet it's so difficult. It doesn't say, he's not saying that we have to be best buddies with everybody or that we have to invite everybody to our home or that we have to interact with everybody on a daily basis, but we are called to love one another. And it might look a little bit different with everybody, but it still calls us to love one another. <clears throat> Romans 12, the first couple verses there. I beseech 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How much time do we spend trying to fit into this world? In Romans it says, and be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How much time do we spend trying to fit in to this world? We are not of this world. We are living here for a time, a fraction of time. And we found out yesterday that that time could end any day. And we don't know. We don't control that. But we trust the one that does know, and we trust the one that does control that, that when our time comes and our time is over here, that we have allowed God to work through us the way that he wanted to. <clears throat> Verse three in 1 John 5, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. It is, it is in no way like it was in the Old Testament where 
You want to talk about burdensome and having to figure out where you're going to get a lamb or a dove or whatever it might be, and maybe you don't have enough money, and so you have to do something different. You have to be creative because he allowed different ways, different things that could be sacrificed depending on how well off you were. Talk about burdensome. Man, it seemed like every time they turned around, they had to sacrifice something. We, we often wonder at the size of flocks they had, but it's no wonder they had such big flocks. They needed them. They had to sacrifice what appears to be a lot. But it was a sacrifice that would never, ever accomplish what was accomplished when Jesus came. Could never be done. It would never happen. It would never satisfy what was needed. Matthew chapter 11. Verses 29 and 30. It says, take my yoke upon you and I will give you, well, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when Jesus came, he freed us from this complicated, what looked like a mess right now of all these sacrifices that had to happen. He freed us from the complications of that. It's no longer burdensome. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Allow me to lead you. Let's not make this more difficult than what it needs to be. Because if we come back to the two commandments, to love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, we can make that really, really difficult. Or we can focus. We can have our gaze transfixed on Jesus' face and all these other things will not matter at all. It's when we stop looking at Jesus' face that all these things become difficult and hard and we don't know how we're going to get through it. Following Christ is not supposed to be difficult or burdensome. The reason that it can be is because we still live in a world that's broken. We still live in a human body that was born into sin. That's why it's difficult. That's why it can be burdensome because we're continually telling our flesh, no, that's not what I'm doing anymore. I have given my life to Christ and I am choosing to walk in a different direction, which will be against our fleshly desires but it's a daily choice that we have to make to follow him. It's not supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be burdensome, but it can be because we are fighting against our flesh. When we get our gaze off of Christ, the flesh will take over and do what we don't want to do. John 16 and 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I shouldn't talk into my water bottle. That doesn't sound very good. For whatever, and this is back in 1 John 5, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It seems like in this chapter, it's laying it out relatively clear. I mean, if you take it for what it says, it says, who is he who overcomes the world, 
but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't know if it could be laid out more clearly than that. In my mind, I'm just taking it as it says it. This is who, has, who overcomes the world, is he who believes <clears throat> that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. This is... This is talking about, uh, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And then it says the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And in verse 57, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It can seem sometimes like we're spinning our wheels here and we're not getting anywhere and we don't understand. We heard yesterday at the memorial service, this isn't what I anticipated that life was gonna end up like. We weren't anticipating Gavin being here no longer at this point, 38 years old, that's how old he was. That's not what we had in mind. But then I remind myself too that we are not, I'm not in control of anything. I like to think I'm in control but I'm not in control of anything. We just keep going, we keep focusing. We heard testimony yesterday of people that were touched by this young man's life. And he was just being him. He was just being himself. He was being who he was. He was being who God created him to be. Who are you being today? Are you being who God made you to be? In following the commandments that he gave us to follow. If you haven't caught on by now that the answer, this sounds very, very cliche and it's, a, it's an easy answer to give, but the answer to all of the questions that we have is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Whatever your question is, whatever you're wondering, whatever you're seeking after, whatever you're searching for, the answer is Jesus. Who is he to you? Who is he? Is he part of your life or is he an insurance policy in case things go awry? Or is he leading you in your life? Where is he in your life? What position have you given him in your life? Christ has given us victory and only through him can we have victory. Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you hear what that said? It says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he does love us. and He continues to love us and he always will love us like we've been talking about for the last several weeks. As we go into the next part of chapter 5 of 1 John, I don't understand what all of it's talking about right here. But I know that one thing that's happening here is that God is establishing his witness. We talk about if two or more, if two people see something happen, then we can prove that it did happen. If it's one person that says, this is what I saw happen, well, you know people that like to stretch the truth at all? I, I maybe have done that sometimes a little bit. 
but you learn to know people and you learn that when you hear something that they say, if you know the person at all, you, you take what they're saying with their personality in mind, maybe. If it's just them you're hearing it from. But if you hear it from a couple of different people, then we can prove it, then we can know it's true. And this is what God is trying to establish here. He's trying to establish who he is. He's trying to establish his witness. He came, this is he who came by water and by blood. Jesus came just like anybody else did to this earth and followed the same process that everybody else did, except one thing is that he never sinned. And when he was ready to begin his ministry, here's John the Baptist baptizing people and Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John tries to say, oh no, no, I'm not even worthy to do this. But Jesus said, no, I need to follow through with the same thing that I ask everybody else to follow through with. He's baptized with water. And then he also later shed his blood for us. talks about the three right here. And this is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Talking a little bit about the Trinity right here. How it works? I don't understand how it works. All I know is that there are three that are operating in one, but they're operating in different avenues. God the Father, who is in heaven, created all things. He sent Jesus, who is also God, to earth to live with us, to experience what we experience here, except without sin, and then to die for us and then return to the Father. And when he returned to the Father, then he sent the Spirit, who is going to work as our conscience, if you will, or is going to work to convict us or or. or prick us or lead us or guide us. You want to know who does the changing in people? It's the Holy Spirit. We can talk and we can say things. And if we think we talk to somebody and we say just the right thing, the Lord's going to change them. And really it doesn't come down to anything that we say. But the more powerful thing we can do is to pray for them that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and will change their hearts. Because what you and I can say is not going to change anybody's heart. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Godhead that is going to do the work. We get to be, God wants to use us in that because he allows us to be part of people's lives to share the Holy Spirit with people, to share the love of Jesus with people, to be an example of who God is to people. I'm going to read uh, several passages out of John in talking about this subject. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. This is what it says. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. They're asking him, how long are you gonna wait to tell us? Are you the Christ? Just tell us. They were really, really having a hard time with this because they weren't expecting I don't know what they were expecting. I don't know what the religious leaders of that day were expecting, but I don't think they were expecting someone to come in personal, for, in person form, in human form, to live here on this earth. And then when Jesus came and he lived here and then he claimed to be God, well, they couldn't handle that at all. Because that's not the, what they, that wasn't their parameters of what they thought was gonna happen. I don't know for sure what it was, but they keep asking him, are you the Christ? Are you gonna tell us the Christ? And Jesus says, I've been telling you this over and over, but you don't believe me because you aren't mine. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all three witnesses of one another. John chapter eight, let's back up a couple chapters <clears throat> verses 13 through 20. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. They're looking for ways to catch him <clears throat> blaspheming God. When he claimed to be God, they didn't like that and that was grounds enough for them to try to kill him. But he's simply stating the truth. He was God. He is God today still. That hasn't changed <clears throat> if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Alluding to the fact that these religious leaders of that day never knew him. Do we know who God is? Do we recognize and realize who God is? He is our father, He is our heavenly father. He's the one who created us. He's the one who created everything. That's who God is. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we trust to be in control of everything in our life. We're gonna read one more passage out of John chapter five, <clears throat> verses 31 through 47.
If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you did not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, and that you do not have the love of God in you." I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This seems pretty harsh, and I would hate to be in the spot where Jesus is telling these people directly that you never knew who I was. You don't believe me at my word. If somebody else would come not claiming to be God, you would believe them at their word. But when I come and I claim to be God, you don't believe me. And they didn't. Do we? Do we believe that he's really God? We say it, it's really easy to say, it's really easy to tell everybody that, yep, yep, I believe God and I believe that Jesus is God and and I believe this, but then it comes down to the fact that we have to live our life. And sometimes the way that we live our life may not always indicate that we believe what we said we believed. If you're going to talk the talk, Make sure that you walk the walk because people are going to watch what you do more than listen to what you say. Because again, it's the Holy Spirit that does the guiding. It's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. It's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. And if people see what we do doesn't match up with what we say, they're not going to take anything that you say or anything that you do. First John 5 verse 10 says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. For who does not believe God? Sorry, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Again, you look at what it's written and it sounds very, very simple right there that eternal life is in the Son of God. And the next verse says simply this, he who has the Son has life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It sounds pretty cut and dried right there. Do you have the Son? Do you have life? Do you want life? Do you want to live life with the Son? Or without the Son? Because it says, he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That sounds pretty clear. I want to have life. I want to be able to live life and to live life abundantly, to live life here. We get to enjoy things here. We get to have birthdays, 40th birthdays. We get to enjoy life. And I hope and pray that we do enjoy life. But let's not forget that if we live this life without the sun, we are going to end up with nothing in the end. John 5, 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Praise the Lord. We don't have to suffer the death of our, the consequences of our sin because Jesus has taken that penalty. And in that sense, yes, we're still going to die here. But we're not going to die spiritually because Jesus has taken that punishment for our sins. Here's the last verse. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John is writing to assure us that we don't have to question our salvation. We don't have to continually question that. We don't have to wonder if what God did is enough. It is. It was. It always will be. We don't have to question our decision to follow Christ. Did we really, did we really take that for ourselves? Did we really believe that for ourselves? Yes. If you have accepted Christ, if you <clears throat> if you accept what he has done for you on the cross, if you receive that free gift that he gave of salvation, then the answer is yes, you have. You don't have to worry about whether what Jesus did was enough. It was enough. He did it for you. He did it for me. And through his son, we can have life. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Stand up with me if you would. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to gaze, help our gaze to be transfixed on your face. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us the desire to seek you, to seek who you are, to learn more about who you are. Father, I just pray for each person here 
I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified through the things that we do and that we say. And I pray that the things that we do will match the things that we say and vice versa. I just pray that you would guide each one of us as we go from here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself real. Continue to show your love to us. Just pray a blessing on each one that's here. We love you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to get your hymn book out and number 779. Very simple chorus. We're going to sing through it twice and then we'll be dismissed. 779. Everybody have a good week and you can be dismissed.